Welcome, you're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelley Shearer here and welcome to the show. So grateful you're here to join me today. I'm sorry this is coming so late. I know there's been a large gap in this five-part series that I promised, but this is the final part to the five-part series. So previously, if you've, if you've listened to the prior ones, we talked on one, mindset, two, inclination, three, contemplation, four, open-mindedness. And today we're going to talk about stems of habits, and there are five of them. So another way of looking at this is mindset, change yourself. Inclination, know yourself. Contemplation, think for yourself. Open-mindedness, open yourself. And the five stems can be described as practice yourself. So you need to practice being who you want to be. Our jobs really here on earth is simply to become. And in order to do that, there are some really easy steps you can put in place that will help you let go of things and bring on new awareness and new awakening in your life. Now, the five stems of habits are this, and I'll address each one um, individually. I have actually talked on these before in podcasts in the past. Um, I suppose you could probably Google them. I'm going to assume, I hope, after four years, guys, in this many episodes, I wouldn't even know where to exactly send you. In fact, little segue, one of my very dearest friends listened to one of my podcasts for the very first time. In four years, she has never listened to a podcast and she chose to listen to the one I posted last week on the ancestral clearing. Now, I mention this for uh, a reason, because I was very unsure about that podcast. It was very revealing of myself to all of you, and it made me very uncomfortable. And I worried, you know, did I get it right? Did I, you know, was it appropriate? And it was interesting because I almost pulled it off and off the air because it's very easy for me to just log into my account and, and remove it from, from my feed But I thought I'd let it play out because you know what? I needed to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And then right out of the blue the next day, my girlfriend texted me, Marco poloed me and said, I listened to one of your podcasts for the first time and it was fabulous. And I just heaved this huge sigh of relief to think, okay, someone related to the story. Now, if you didn't catch that one on the Ancestral Clearing, I talk about a couple of past life issues that I was having in my current ability to have abundance. One of the stories that I forgot to mention in that podcast, which is in my notes for this series, because I guess I'd made a, the notes in the same book as I did when I did the clearing with Jan Jansen, and that was that there was a, a good part about a past life, and I can't believe I forgot to mention it, in the fact that Besides, you know, having a sister that I have incredible conflict with and was my abusive husband in a past life, I was my father's son in a past life and I was the bit of the shit. Um, I had lost a child to starvation. All of these things were speaking to my issues with abundance and I needed to address those limiting beliefs in my own life. We all have stuff, guys. As much as I may coach on this, it doesn't mean that I am not still learning. 
But the other one she brought up, the story that I completely left out of out of the podcast was that I had also been a very successful businessman in a, in a past life with factories. I treated, treated my people well. And through all of this, my shining sort of character trait is kindness. And I, I feel that's how I am today. I consider myself a kind person. It's actually why I say that is because if you ask my friends, they will say the same thing. And, and I've learned to own that, to quit um, poo-pooing it and saying it's not important. These things are important in your life, in, in the person you are and who you're becoming. And having high-functioning habits is also accepting the good about yourself and building on that, okay? So in the practice for yourself, choice is the first thing because if there's one thing you can exercise control over is your perspective, so one of the reasons I did the clearing was because my I have a much clearer perspective on my life now at my age and my experience, and I knew that those feelings I was having of want and negativity and that blockage needed to be addressed. It was not something I was going to live with for years and all of a sudden come out the other end and go, oh, I should have seen that sooner. No, I am aware of how to see that sooner. I got on it like right away not letting that stuff fester and create roots in my life at all. Okay, so you can exercise control over your perspective. Sorry, guys. The situation may be beyond you, but you have a choice at the angle from which you view it. You can either choose to be miserable, which I had spent two weeks on a gerbil wheel, as I talked about, or you can choose to motivate yourself. And I chose to go fix it, motivate myself, move forward. But whatever your decision is, it's your choice all along. Do you remember the, um, let me, uh, give you a couple of books, how to win friends and influence people, seven habits of highly effective people, high performance habits, think and grow rich. They all have a general standpoint and that is mindset. That's why I talk about high functioning habits being number one is mindset in changing yourself because it is so important right out of the gate. Now, moving on from there, we go into learning. Once you have made a choice, you're going to need to learn that there's really not much else I can say about that. The trick here is to find your modality of learning. That would be my advice to you. So for instance, I really enjoyed audio, audio, audio books. Sorry, I have a subscription to Audible. They have a Canadian and a, and a US um, subscription process, uh, which makes it very nice. And when I was in the car before COVID, that was learning time for me. I just loved it. Now I've had to really get used to perhaps uh, having my iPhone just on maximum or running it through. We have a, a speaker system upstairs from Bose that will Bluetooth anything off my phone. And when I'm making dinner and things like that, I can listen to eBooks. Sometimes I'm even able to listen to them at my computer if the work I'm doing is quite mindless and I don't need to really concentrate. But some people do better with visual. So even though it's not active right now in the fall, the high functioning habits vlog will start on YouTube and there will basically what I'll probably do is just literally start camera readying my, um, podcast, some of them. And that way, you know what, if you are a visual person, you want to see someone talking there I am, or, you know, whomever else you like to listen to. So you've got your audible, you've got your video. Uh, some people just full up like to read. I'm a reader full on, but I really enjoyed learning through, excuse me, the Audible first. I really do. It It just, it's concrete for me. And then if I love a book enough, I will order the hard copy. But I always start with Audible, to be perfectly honest. But f you know what? Simply, guys, find your way. Because there is no shortcut to learning but to learn. 
Learning exposes and acquaints you to perspectives of great minds, past and present, sometimes taking you out of your comfort zone. It sharpens your mindset and increases your power of reasoning and judgment. So learning is an absolute necessity for people that want to be high functioning. It is no different than executing a new habit. Learning to learn, for lack of a better expression, is a habit. Okay? Now, next is decisiveness. And it was interesting. The first time I gave a public talk, and this was to uh, my ladies meeting group, oh, almost a year ago now, Someone came up to me afterwards and asked me to speak at their B&I group on just decisiveness. I had rolled through kind of the whole book in about a 40-minute stage speech because one of the things they were finding with business people is they just weren't making decisions. They just were having trouble being decisive, you know, weighing the pros and cons and then moving forward. You can't always make the perfect decision. And this seems to, for some reason, hamstring a lot of business owners, especially new entrepreneurs. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to, how does that expression go Sam Crowley use? You don't have to something perfect, but you have to get going. I can't remember. And Colin Sprake says something similar as well, that it is, it is better to make an imperfect decision than no decision at all. That is not how he phrases it, but you get the idea. You have to move forward. And sometimes that means accepting that mistakes get made and lessons are going to be learned. But let me tell you, the fact that you're listening to this podcast and you are looking for more in your life, to be more aware, that is a huge step that a lot of the population on this planet is not taking. So remember, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be moving forward. Okay? So decisiveness is about choosing and then executing. So even though choice and execution are definitely their own topics in my in my podcast, in my in my teaching for high functioning habits. Decisiveness is a habit. Learning to make decisions is a habit unto itself. And here's how it works. You have to practice in areas that you struggle, black or white, making decisions, you know, maybe boundaries in your, it doesn't matter what it is. Find a weakness in your life that maybe you're always struggling making decision about and start choosing. The first thing is Maybe you're one of those people that can never decide what to eat for dinner. <laughs> I know. Okay, we're just going to start with something so benign, something so banal. You can't decide what to make for dinner. Well, you are going to give yourself two minutes to walk into your kitchen, even if you have to open your fridge and say, we're having that for dinner, and you don't change your mind. You don't waffle, okay? No different than maybe choosing an outfit for that day. You've got to decide. And this may seem silly to some of you that are good with this practice, but there's a lot of people that are not. I am a very, <laughs> there is no one that would tell you different, decisive person. I've often joked, and I've mentioned this in prior podcasts, that my years at Bell Canada, I was paid to make decisions. That's all I did was answer emails and answer questions and make decisions all day long. I had people that did the bookkeeping for me. I ran a, a software platform, a billing platform for a IT division of Bell Canada, which is a telco company here in Canada. Am I using acronyms? They are a tech, they were buying up technology companies and they were putting it under the umbrella of their telephone company. Sorry, I didn't mean to use um, specific acronyms to that industry. And they are very different disciplines. So when they bought up these, I'll go back to the IT companies now, they were on a different billing platform, but they kept rotating them, like rolling them into over about five-year period onto one, and I managed that. 
And they paid me very well to manage that until they finally rolled it into the billing of the actual Bell Canada mother company back east. Now, I am a big believer in putting myself out of a job. I do not believe what they did in that instance was right. I was indispensable. Nobody should be indispensable in your company. We used to joke that if I got hit by a car, there'd be a problem. And two years in, I got hit by a van in a car accident. And that is when it really became apparent to my upper management people that this situation wasn't healthy. And then we spent the next couple of years transitioning. And eventually, like I say, I put myself out of a job. That was my job there. My job was never meant to be there. Even as long as I was, I thought it was a two-year contract. I was there for almost six years. Way too long. But bottom line was uh, I was indispensable. And that is very unhealthy in a company, just FYI. However, decisiveness, that was my job. I literally was paid to make decisions all day long to help sales reps and and um, software applications to choose and move forward doesn't mean every decision was perfect, but it is a strength of mine. It also means that I have a lot of mistakes in my life because when you can't make a decision, like I'll use my mom as an example, that woman couldn't make a decision to save her life. My sister now, when she needs to do anything with my mom, I finally have kind of taught her, would you quit giving her unlimited choices? Like 20 years ago, I finally just said to Angie, three choices. You give mom, you go out with her, you pick three carpet colors, three paint colors, and that is it. She chooses from those three. You do not give her the whole book. Because my mother spent two years choosing carpet for her house. Yes, two years. My husband's lucky if I spend two hours. Okay, maybe two days. I'll at least go visit three different places. (laughs) But you see what I mean? I know I'm making a bit of a joke about it. But that's the truth of the matter. Decision making is very hard for some people. So if you have trouble with that, you need to implement some other things in your life to create a better habit, okay? Now, this is no different. How does decisiveness work? Say you went out and you bought an iron to iron your clothes because apparently someone commented at work that, you know, you're coming to work looking a little shabby and your clothes aren't necessarily dry cleanable. You're just a little, just a little sloppy. So you buy the iron, but you don't use it. It sits in the cupboard. So you made the decision, you bought the iron, but you haven't used it. Then what happens is we are people that are so brilliantly designed to justify. We have to justify our lack of action, the way we think. So what do we do? We start in on, well, that iron doesn't do what it said it was going to do. Maybe you saw an ad for this particular iron or a steamer and you start thinking that the advertisement was false and that was just a big fat lie. Do you see what I'm saying here? So you're still going to work in rumpled clothing, but now you're going to start blaming the iron or the steamer's fault when actually the only issue here is you did not get off your butt and use the item that you purchased. I know that may seem like the simplest example and you think, who would do that? Oh, you have no idea how many people do that kind of stuff. I'm married to one. (laughs) He makes me laugh. All right. So that is where decisive comes into it. So that actually leads into the next subject of, of our STEM is execution. You bought the iron, but you never executed using it. So all the self justifications come in. Now, in my little ebook, executions at the end of the chap at the end of the book, and that's why I've rearranged some of these things because, like I say, having chosen to be high functioning and you decided on the habits and you've made some decisions, you've you know made choice, you've made some learning um, leaps and bounds, you've decided, but execution is not easy. 
In the self-help wor world, there's an expression, shelf help. You can buy all the books, courses, and DVDs that you want, but if you do not open them, use them, implement them, execute the habits in them or whatever it is they're teaching you, you're just simply going to get nowhere. It's no different than there is a supplement you should be taking, for instance. You've decided that your body needs a supplement for whatever reason. That is a challenge in your life. And you put that supplement in a cupboard, let's see, in the kitchen. Now, that's a good habit for me, but that might not be for you because perhaps where you take your first drink of water uh, in the morning is in your bathroom. And maybe as well, you're one of those people that doesn't do well opening the cabinet and looking for something or a drawer. It has to be on the counter. So you might have to decide to leave it out on the counter in the place that you take water for the first time in the morning or whenever that pill has to be taken with or without food. I mean, you know, know the, the restrictions or limitations or whatever. And when company comes over, if you are like I am right now, I am for the first time in my adult married life in a home without a guest bathroom. So upstairs in my main part of my house where I entertain and live, Keith and I only have one bathroom. It's accessible from our bedroom and from the entrance foyer. So guests are using my actual bathroom, when my personal bathroom, when they are visiting. So we have a big top drawer in front of the sink. And my husband's stuff, I just scooch that all off and into the drawer and close the drawer. And then the next morning when he gets up, he opens the drawer, takes out what he wants and puts it back on the counter. Easy peasy. Yeah, it doesn't solve the problem when people drop in unannounced, but they're friends, so whatever. And I do the same thing over on my area where that's my makeup area. I just tied it up because I'm sharing. So things are out on my counter, regardless of the fact I'm, I'm making this point because other people are there and you might think, oh, that looks messy. Guess what? Your habits are more important. Actually, I really need you to listen to this. Your habits that are helping you move forward in life are way more important than what you think people will think of you and your bathroom being in a mess if they visit unannounced, okay? way more important. One is being, it's learning, it's becoming, and the other one is ego and image. All right? Mull that around for a few minutes. <laughs> so for me, for instance, it's a kitchen thing. I don't take very, I take very few things without food. So I open a door in my kitchen and all my supplements are right there, right above my Vitamix where I make my protein shake in the morning. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. And you will probably have noticed when I was talking through one of the other, um, excuse me, uh, parts of this, I talked about my husband and the fact that, no, he won't do any of that. So I put all his little pills in a little uh, dish right above the microwave where he goes every morning. He walks right to the microwave, grabs them, downs them, makes his drink mix for his probiotics or prebiotics in his water bottle and walks out the door. Yes, I know I'm doing it for him, but I'm doing it anyways because I just, I do mine, I walk over, do his, and it's done. I don't even, it is a habit that is so ingrained, I don't even think about it anymore. And I swear that man's one or second love language is gifts of service because he does for me when I, when we're fighting or stressed out, um, but his number one is gifts, <laughs> definitely gifts, but his second one has got to be gifts of service because he just feels loved when I do that for him. You got to work it out in your own life, guys. Okay? So execution is very, very important. If you don't do the thing, you can't change the thing. I always love Brendan Burchard's comment. The most important thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And when it comes to execution, uh, you've already decided you just need to execute this. 
And so you need to find ways to make that happen. So no different than, you know, making a decision. Executing is very important. Now we can run with the 10,000 hours, but that usually runs around with being a, a, um, an expert at something. We can run with the three months and the how many times it takes to repeat something. But I have really found the following two things to be true. Repetition reduces resistance. Absolutely. The more you do a thing, the, the easier it gets to, to, do, to, do, to be able to do and you will continue to do it. However, there is still the option that if you are vested emotionally in the change, you are probably going to have an easier time. That is why some people kind of little joke at me that I've, my superpower is creating new habits because I never realized, and really until just recently, I wrote this ebook. I've been doing this podcast for four years. I've been coaching, but I never actually had it put into words. So I was reading someone's book. I'm sorry, <laughs> three on the go at the time. I can't remember which one it was. That if you have an emotional investment in it, it's the, the habit is way easier to put into place. And that really clicked for me because I realized I always, almost always have an emotional reason for putting a habit into place. Why? Because one, I'm a very emotional person. And two, because I'm trying to overcome a difficulty in my life and I want better. My emotional reaction is always better success. You know, I want to, it just, I want what's out there, what's coming. And so I am willing to change a habit or put something new in place and make it immediate. Within two or three days, that's a new habit for me and I move forward. Doesn't mean other things might fall off as I no longer need them in my life and the same will be for you. So definitely sort of keep up, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a checklist, even if it's just mental, of what is serving you in your life and what is not, okay? You're going to have habits no matter what, guys, so you might as well have good ones. But for me, that emotional attachment to it, to the outcome is great. The other thing that literally came up this morning, I was doing my 30 days on the page uh, writing exercise with Terry Trespicio, and today the topic was habits. <laughs> I went, oh, that's just fitting. And she was speaking about making something a ritual. And that's what I had to write about. That as well is very important for some people. For instance, I, I wrote about my eggnog ritual at Christmas time. You know, the, nothing ever just gets poured out into a glass over ice, a shot of rum and, and eggnog out of the carton. It is a whole ritual of, of crystal and china and glass blown stir sticks and nutmeg grated from the actual nut. It's on a big tray. It's, and then we watch Sound of Music. My husband laughs, but it is my ritual. It is a habit. But ritualizing something, people usually associate that with religion and, and you don't need to. A ritual is just something that becomes personal and meaningful to you. And it could be anything. Well, my eggnog habit is a ritual for me. So perhaps look at some of the things in your life that way. Okay, whether it be your meditation time or, you know, eating well or, you know, one thing you do in the day. Is it just a habit or is it also a ritual? They will really help solidify and cement that for you. Okay, so execution, very, very important. Remember, repetition reduces resistance. Doesn't always have to be that way, but it really, really does help. Lastly, recovery. This is a stem of habits, part of the stems of habits that is so very important. Now, I've done an entire podcast on recovery. You can just Google it. It will show up in my, in my show, in my show uh, and, um, list there somewhere. Recovery is so very, very important. Too often in this world today, we operate in 
go, 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 crash, 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 go, 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 crash, crash, crash. And we forget about contemplation, planning and recovery and recovery and crashing are not the same thing. Crashing is because you literally have let your body wear out. You've let your mind wear out and you are not functioning. Crashing may lead to recovery, but it's the order. And I think Monique from the sacred gifts has it going recovery and then contemplation or planning. You don't get to go into action right away. And that's what's a little bit broken in our society. We tend to crash. Granted, we recover, but we head right back into action again with no plan. Nuh-uh-uh. No, that is very, very unhealthy. It is very important to ensure that in your life, you have got, you know, the planning stage and the action stage and the recovery stage. What is the fourth one? Contemplation is really more about, hmm, recovery. I'm going to have to look that up and get back to you on that one. Uh, It's called the chaos cycle. And you could probably just Google that on Google search. These steps are very important, but in our adrenaline fueled world, crash, go, crash, go. We are in fight or flight all the time. Now here's, here you go. New book this week. I'm just going to grab my iPhone here and make sure I've got the title right. Joe Dispenza, I believe, is the author. And Audible, for some reason, doesn't carry one of his books. So the only way to get it is the Joe Dispenza collection, which has all three of the books. And they are uh, Becoming Supernatural, You Are the Placebo, and my favorite, Breaking the Habit of Being You. (laughs) I just love that. Because if there's one thing that I am doing in my life is breaking the habit of being me, the things that I've clung to, the things that we, we cling to in our past and, you know, maybe past lives, maybe this life, we are spiritual beings having, having a physical experience. You don't think that that energy can be tainted or brought in from, I don't know, the ether, another source when we die. We don't really die. Just our bodies do. Our spirits live on. There's, there's absolute, there's actually now scientific research on this. If you've ever done any reading of, um, the Da Vinci Code guy, something Brown, is that his name? One of his books talks about how they weighed a body in water in this chamber as it was dying. This person donated their body to science because they were terminal. And at the point of death, the measurement of weight in the water changed by a 0.02 or something or 002. There was a very tiny microscopic change that no one could ever describe. So they've now done research on this kind of stuff. So they feel that's the soul leaving the body. Who knows? But don't you want to be open-minded to say what if versus "Eh, that can't be true. The second you put up blocks, blinders, whatever, you are closing yourself off. Now, granted, there are levels of some people's acceptability, and I accept this and I understand it because of my Christian upbringing, that there are people out there that believe, you know, certain things are satanic or they're evil. Please really think about those things. Open your heart and meditate and go, is this really something evil or it's been something I've been told that's bad in order for some association to control my thought process? Because religion in the past, you know, in thousands of years ago, uh, even here in America, like, you know, you talk about the witch trials and all that nonsense. That to me was evil. 
That was people with such a ingrained doctrine that they did evil things in the name of God. You know, apartheid, ugh, all of it. There's just, there's more damage has been done and more wars in the name of God. And I'm pretty sure that our spiritual energetic father, however you want to describe him, out there, up there, whatever, or inside of us, is just shaking his head going, when are these people going to get a grip and realize that isn't what I was talking about? You need to make those decisions for yourself. So be very careful that you do not have blocks that are mislabeled. Okay? I believe in evil. Oh, do not get me wrong. I believe in evil. It is very clear it exists on this planet. Just look at what's going on here with COVID. I truly believe that despite the fact that the virus is out there, that evil people are manipulating it to their agenda. They are not thinking of the betterment of the world. They have an ulterior agenda and they are just creating anybody that uses the media to create fear and division amongst the population. They are not good people. Think about that. Those, there is no good that comes from that. We need to be inclusive. We need to be energetically joined and moving forward. You can like something that someone else doesn't like, but division through fear, straight up bad news in my world. Okay, so what did we talk about today? Stems, practice for yourself. And what are they again? Choices, learning, decisiveness, execution, and recovery. I think I need to make up a blog on this and I'll post it. I know I'm going on holidays in a couple of weeks and I do have two interviews set up. So time's just a little bit tight right now, but I will try and get this laid out in a format that is just in a, in the blog, either on the livingwellwithshell.com page or the blog that is, uh, resides on the coulda, woulda, shoulda.ca site where this, this podcast is hosted. And that way you can just take a snap picture or print it, whatever. And I don't know, put it up on your mirror. You guys should see the window in my office. I've got sticky notes all over it because I was doing an exercise with a coach and I needed some clarity. And we, we did these things about our emotions and the scenes that we see in our life. And I had to keep moving them around till I could get them into little clusters to find a commonality. It was fabulous. Very, very neat visual um, exercise. Do the same thing with things like notes like this. Leave yourself sticky notes if you need to. Don't worry about someone coming into your house and seeing sticky notes on your fridge or on your cabinets or in your office or on your bathroom mirror, things on the counter. Don't worry about your image and your ego. Let those things go. The ego just wants to be in control and it wants its own needs met all the time. And your ego loves to control your subconscious. Okay? Don't let it. Ensure that your conscious mind is in control of your ego's actions. You will find life so much easier if you can do that. All right. I think that's all we've got for today, guys. This concludes the five-part series. Please reach out if you have any questions. There's lots of ways to reach me. Livingwellwithshell at gmail.com is the, is the easiest to remember. But any of the sites to, to wherever you um, listen to this podcast has ways to get a hold of me. Have a great day, everyone. And I will catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com. You can also join the discussion on Twitter at livingwellwithshell and Instagram at www.instagram.com slash livingwellwithshell. 
If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through Shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.